Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up. In darkness, from the ones who walk in light, light 'em up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. This is. Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw today. <laughs> today is Tuesday, ah, November the twentieth, two thousand and twelve. It's all over. Damned election. Last time I was in this studio, it was November the sixth. Oh, thank God, it's all over and gone. The president himself said. He forgot all about the election by Wednesday. That is the next day following the vote. Ah,、uh, actually,、uh, and he mentioned a sidebar that、uh, we have to do something about the process. The、uh, you know、uh, the voting registration we know is the、um, biggie here. Of course, if you think about these matters. Maybe we could get everybody registered before the vote comes around again. You know, in two thousand and fourteen, neatness counts. I love all the cartoons,、uh, especially in the New York or the New Yorker covers. They all show the difference,、um, the difficulties. You know, the difficulties people are having getting to the ballot box. You know, trying to you know, use a flashlight to <laughs> find the door. Anyway. Some federal regulations just might help. Whatever.、Uh, anyway, what the president has and has not done, of course, is now the problem. Now cometh the hard part. I, for one, needed to breathe. You know,、uh, just take a deep breath. Forget about the whole thing, and you know, go to the movies. I'll talk about that movie about Lincoln in just a minute.、Uh, if you like to do postmortems, check out the New Yorker magazine's Talk of the Town, a very good synthesis by the editor David Remnick. He pretty much summed it all up. You know.、Uh, No more magical thinking. No more magical thinking. That's the thing.、Uh, <laughs> he he does sound kind of kind of cheerful. Kind of you know like well like old folks like me you know. Ah,、uh, uh, he says send a note, a thank you note to Bill Clinton and for the determined footsore voters of South Florida and what the hell to Chris Christie. Uh, finally, bid a fond farewell to some of those gargoyles who have haunted your sleep. <laughs> He feels the same way I do, right? All these months of、uh, cable gazing, 
See you later, brothers cock. Ah, shalom, Sheldon Adelson. Hasta la vista, tea party. Oh, ciao for now, Donald Trump. Anyway, let us hope that all these people will just go away. I doubt it, but for the moment, we don't have to think about it. We, uh, I don't think we even have to think about that fiscal cliff. Uh, I think that's another, what you call that, uh, not fig leaf, um, Oh, they always do that, you know, uh, wave that flag that says, we're going broke, we're going broke. Uh, what matters, at least according to David Remick in the talk of the town and, and, uh, and moi and, uh, yours truly, what matters is, um, the, uh, uh, you know, the state of the planet. Uh, the fact that the president, uh, spoke up about it in 2008, and then I'm afraid he had so many more important things to do, and they were important things to do, the health care and all that good stuff. Uh, this article, the talk of the town, uh, in the November 19th issue, spends a page or two talking about well, the economic impact of weather events and uh, the warming of the earth, da 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 da, da on and on and on. Uh, even the Pentagon seems to accept the basic science, according to this article. But what David Remnick wishes to do here is to point out that the president, our newly elected President Barack Obama, made a promise back in 2008 and uh, did not pursue the measures that were needed. Let's see, here's the quote. Here's what Obama said back in 2008. Quote, if we are willing to work for it and fight for it and believe in it. Uh, he goes on to say, this is when he... Uh, was talking about what future generations will look back and say, quote, This was the moment when the rise of the oceans began to slow and our planet began to heal. Ouch! Okay. As David Remnick points out, those generations to come assuredly will not say that that was the moment, 2008. Let us hope that this is the moment, boys and girls. Okay that he decides it's time to start fixing things. Uh, that's his biggie. As I said, I I need a little rest. I need to breathe. Um, if you are interested, check out David Remnick in The New Yorker. Uh, right, global warming happens just slowly enough that political systems have been able to ignore it. That's from the New York Review of Books, Bill McKibben. He goes on to say the distress signal is emitted at a frequency that the scientists can hear quite clearly, but is seemingly just beyond the reach of most politicians. <laughs> you remember with health care, I observed that we have, I think, one or two um, physicians, medical men in the Congress, uh, 
Now, whether or not we have uh, climate scientists there, I don't know, you know, but they can make a phone call. Anyway, let me jump to something that's more fun. Let's talk about the the wonderful movie uh, about Abraham Lincoln because it's a terrific, terrific uh, picture to come come out just now on the uh, date of the uh, second election of Barack Obama. Uh, I brought a book in here recently. I brought it back again today by the editor of The New Yorker, this terrific book about uh, Barack Obama. It's called The Life and Rise of Barack Obama. The title, if you want to look it up on the net, is The Bridge. Now, it's a tome. It's a huge, wonderful book with a thousand anecdotes. If you're a school teacher, I think you want this one. But uh, remember, you can always go to the library or just go to the bookstore and uh, check the index, and you'll find all these wonderful uh, little references. I, I love the bits about Hillary Clinton. I wonder what she's planning for. The next election, well, I won't go in that direction. I'm looking at the bridge and uh, all the good stuff, mostly the stuff I love to read at times like this, is about uh, where this guy came from, who Barack Obama is. Uh, I even uh, found some material here about the short stories he was writing when he was a young man, yes, all the work in Chicago when he was a community organizer, uh, all the little things. This is a guy, he might not have been as, um, to call that, as uh, much an extrovert as President Clinton, but he certainly, certainly knows uh, who everybody is. He doesn't forget people's names or faces. Uh, I... I don't want to compare him to Abraham Lincoln. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, What this book um, tells us or tells me is that Abraham Lincoln, of course, is what got this whole ball rolling. Uh, He made it possible for Barack Obama to get to the White House in 2008. That's what it's all about. Uh, There is a good review of the movie in the same New Yorker that I was just referring to, uh, the November 19th issue. I love the picture of Lincoln. It's a very good picture. Uh, It's a sketch. What they did here was they made Daniel Day-Lewis look like Lincoln. Uh, I wonder who did this sketch. Illustration by Ricardo Martinez. That's interesting. Yes, uh... Daniel Day-Lewis in Steven Spielberg's movie, A Man Who Reaches Out to the People He Leads, while seeming lost in himself. Yes, very interesting. This seems to be the reviewer's take to Anthony Lane's review of Lincoln. He says that Daniel Day-Lewis really manages to convey this uh, portrait of a man who reached out to the people, but... Uh, when he looked within, well, it's a little more complicated. He doesn't exactly talk to himself, but he certainly argues with himself. Uh, I think probably that's, uh, what is that line about? Thomas Jefferson dined alone, right? Yes. Who else do you have to talk to? 
when you're Abraham Lincoln, you have to talk to yourself and uh, uh, draw your own conclusions. Uh, in any case, uh, I, I'm not sure. I've spent a lot of time worrying about whether Sally Field should have played Mary Todd Lincoln, but I don't think I'll go into that today. Some of the reviews say that this is more a chamber piece than an epic. It takes a very short period of time. Uh, anyway, uh, Lincoln, the movie, tells an honest tale of Abe. It's set in early 1865 when Abe is trying to wrestle the 13th Amendment through the House of Representatives. The Senate passed it, uh, outlawed slavery and involuntary servitude in April of 1864. Then came the task of pushing things through the House of Representatives. That's a parallel to our own time, of course. And, of course, Lincoln's problem was his fellow Republicans, as today... Barack Obama's fellow Democrats are a large part of his problem. Uh, oh, Tommy Lee Jones is terrific in Lincoln. Uh, he's, well, he's an abolitionist. Uh, see, he's what uh, several characters in the book about Obama, yes. He's the kind of guy, the kind of radical... He opens his mouth, he blows his wig off, that kind of thing, you see. And the book about Obama tells about a whole bunch of people, one woman in particular. Uh, she thought that um, Barack Obama was going to take her along uh, on his trip, on his trip to power. But it seems that she was too confrontational. And he told her this, and he... Uh, what is it? Uh, he didn't include her. And she, of course, was brokenhearted and wept and all of that kind of thing. And kind of tells you uh, a lot about being a politician. A politician, of course, uh, is all about compromise, the art of the possible. Uh, of course, both Lincoln and Obama need these radicals, these uh absolutists, but, you know, uh, let's see, uh, now in the movie is a description of how Abraham Lincoln uh, curbs the folks who, uh, you know, want to change the world overnight. Uh, anyway, there's some revisionist things in the script. The script is by our perhaps greatest uh, living playwright Tony Kushner. His script um, is the biggie. Steven Spielberg is the director. The book, well, Sally Field says that it's about five pages that's included, about five pages from a book called Team of Rivals by Doris Kearns Goodwin. You know what that's all about. How to uh, keep your enemies closer than your friends or your friends closer. You know, uh, it was called a kitchen cabinet, I think. And Lincoln just uh, included all these guys. The minute he was elected, he just uh, uh, brought all of his rivals into his cabinet. Uh, anyway, 
we get the idea, I think, from the publicity that this movie is, um, you know, going to be something rather grand, and it's not. It's not like the visit to Mount Rushmore. It's uh, two and a half hours of a very cramped and ornery affair. It's about, you know, smoke-filled rooms, um, politics. It says uh, Spielberg goes into lockdown mode even more thoroughly than he did in, and they mention a bunch of other films. Uh, anyway, uh, we get a lot of time spent in the Lincoln's bedroom. Right. Well, and also we get hospital wards. Uh, okay, the actors in this movie are uh, several of our most uh, beloved uh, leading men or great actors. Uh, I'm not going to list them for you. You know them all. They're all on the cable television talking about uh, how they related to the actor and to Lincoln. Uh, Sally Field says that she and Daniel Day-Lewis stayed in character the whole time, even for a... Uh, an initial audition or reading. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> the the only the only dismissive thing that Anthony Lane, the reviewer, says about the characters is a line about Hal Holbrook, who I guess had to be in the movie on account of because he's the Abraham Lincoln, uh, uh, what do you call that, impersonator. Has been for decades and decades, and uh, he was given the role of Francis Preston Blair, an architect of a failed peace agreement with the South. <laughs> Anthony Lane says he's a dead ringer for Nosferatu. Anyway, uh, they go on. He goes on about the shenanigans in the smoke-filled rooms, and uh, yes, most of the smoke came from the. Cigar Secretary of State, William Seward. A couple of books out about him. That's David Strathairn, one of my favorite actors, always in these very liberal movies. Used to be one of the um, favorite actors of John Sayles, one of our best independent filmmakers. Uh, anyway, the cinematographer gets a lot of credit, uh, yes, a rarefied and sifted haze. Okay, the cinematographer is going for myth. The screenwriter seems to be going for a little bit of a revisionist take on all this. Uh, uh, the picture book look is what I think of. Uh, anyway, uh, on and on and on. Uh, Spielberg like a cinematic Sandberg, is drawn aloft toward legend. Obviously, that's the impulse he would have, but he is tugged down by Kirshner's intricate screenplay toward documentary grit. That sounds, that sounds about right. Uh, so, it's kind of, let's say it's tendencies, according to this critic, it's the two tendencies are the visionary or the revisionist, which one comes out on top, kind of depends on who you are, I guess. The uh, music is by John Williams. It says that it's 
all plaintive piano solos and sobbing horns. He says that the music could have been composed 30 years ago. Well, I think that's right, you know, that kind of uh, back-in-the-day, deja-vu-all-over-again feeling. Uh, hmm. One of the interviews with Sally Fields, I think it was a radio interview, they asked her, about a character that interested me. I mentioned the character on the air here the other day. Uh, she's given some pages in David Remnick's book, Character of the Dressmaker, Elizabeth Heckley. I want to read you a little bit about her because, well, I mean, Frederick Douglass paid a visit, but Elizabeth was there in the bedroom with Lincoln and his good wife. And there they were, uh... She noticed some things, and she wrote a book, and uh, Mary Todd Lincoln was very hurt. Uh, well, this was later, after the death of Lincoln, when the uh, dressmaker wrote a uh, an expose. Uh, okay, uh, let's see, let me turn to the book, right. Uh, the book, The Bridge. Abraham and Mary Todd Lincoln had no slaves in the White House. Now, Elizabeth, uh, Keckley is her name, Keckley, K-E-C-K-L-E-Y, did I get that wrong? Lizzie, Lizzie Keckley. Uh, she was a black dressmaker. I believe she began life as a slave. It says here she bought her freedom from Daniel Webster, for goodness sakes. Uh, she also made clothes for Jefferson Davis, the... <laughs> President of the Confederacy, yes, and some other very fancy uh, Southern aristocrats. Uh, obviously, this woman was in a better spot to um, analyze the scene than damn near anyone. Uh, now, this black dressmaker was referred to by Mary Todd Lincoln as her very best living friend. That is, until the book came out. Uh, the uh, wasn't a tell-all, I'm sure, but uh, the book about... Mary and uh, Lincoln. Of course, by the time uh, Mrs. Lincoln read the book, she was uh, in an asylum. Uh, there's a funny reference here to the president telling his wife that she might have to go to an asylum. He looks out the window, according to Elizabeth. Yes, according to Elizabeth, he looked out the window and pointed out to her where the asylum was uh, close to the White House and said that if she didn't stop her incessant grieving over the death of her son, she might have to go to the asylum. I wouldn't suggest that the president had a sadistic streak, but obviously this was not a, a mellow marriage. This was a fierce uh, Fierce relationship, Sally Fields says that uh, there would have been no Abraham Lincoln, but for Mary Todd, it was her ambition and drive and her uh, ferocious, uh, let's call it, uh, I wouldn't want to call it social climbing, but uh, she had her eye on the White House. I've heard several people say she wanted to be president, sounds right to me. Uh, anyway, when the book by Elizabeth Keckley appeared... The paper said that Elizabeth was a traitorous eavesdropper. That's what the press said. Uh, it was entitled Behind the Seams. And they refer to Elizabeth by the N-word. <laughs> a woman who took in work from Mrs. Lincoln and Mrs. Davis. That's uh, Jefferson Davis, the wife of the 
head of the Confederacy. She had violated the codes of her era. And she threw a sense of fear into the slave-owning and servant-possessing classes. Where will it end, said one reviewer. Uh, let's see. What family of eminence that employs a Negro is safe from such desecration? Mrs. Lincoln denounced the book and, quote, the colored historian, unquote. She cut off the seamstress she had once called her, quote, best and kindest friend. In a letter to the New York Citizen, the paper, Elizabeth Keckley asked if she was being denounced because, quote, my skin is dark. Was she not free to speak and write as a free woman toward the end of her life? Elizabeth worked at Wilberforce University in Ohio, heading its domestic science department. It's <laughs> what we used to call home ec, remember? Uh, according to David Remnick's book, uh, Elizabeth Keckley died in 1907. Oh, my parents were five years old, 1907. At the age of 89 in Washington, D.C., she was a resident of the National Home for Destitute Colored Women and Children. David Remnick goes on at great length to detail all of the black Americans or uh, mixed-race Americans who were um, invited to or who came to the White House for one or another reason, uh, Oh, uh, not really a very pretty picture. I think of, what was it, uh, Martin Luther King. I cannot remember some question about his invitation to Kennedy's funeral, anyway. <laughs> Isn't it curious? Uh, I think of our own time, the Moses generation, still a few of those people still alive, the Martin Luther King generation. But most of them are gone. And according to the president himself, he is the result of their work and of the work of generations before him. Did you hear the president recently? He has mentioned the issue of race, not in any confrontational way, just simply that um, people with his uh, family background... Uh, would or would not have done this or that. Anyway, he's letting it come back into the conversation again because in this book, The Bridge, you will see that it was very much his preoccupation and his uh, first-order business back in the day, obviously for political reasons. He has let that slide. Uh, I'm looking here at what the president said, the president Lincoln hmm, your race are suffering in my judgment the greatest wrong inflicted on any people group of blacks from a reception district of the White House but says Abraham Lincoln, even when you cease to be slaves you are yet far removed from being placed on an equality with the white race Okay. Then David Remnick goes on to detail, uh, oh boy, rough stuff, uh, Lincoln's, we would call it racist plans. Uh, he wanted to send former slaves to Central America. That stalled. Uh, 
Progressive activist Van Jones, described by Rolling Stone as one of 12 leaders who get things done. Van is a co-founder of four thriving nonprofits: Color of Change, Green for All, the Ella Baker Center, and his current project, Rebuild the Dream, sponsored by the board of directors of the Mario Savio Memorial Lecture, KPFA, and other organizations. Van will discuss where are we now, where do we want to be, how do we get there. Wednesday, November 28th, 8 p.m., Pauley Ballroom, Martin Luther King Student Center, UC Berkeley Campus. Tickets are available beginning 6.30 p.m. in the Student Center lobby for this KPFA benefit. There will also be the annual presentation of the Young Activist Award. Find full info on kpfa.org. November 28th, Van. (laughs) 